Welcome to 1000 Voices, where we are on a mission to interview 1000 inspirational Black Britons. And for voice number 28 of 1000 Voices, we have the amazing Davinia Tomlinson. Davinia is the founder of Raincheck, and Raincheck is a community for women, helping women to take control of their financial futures and working towards closing the gender wealth gaps prevalent in the UK. In this interview, Davinia gives us insights into her upbringing her life and some of the key experiences that led her to founding Raincheck in the first place. This interview is literally jam-packed with all sorts of good financial advice and tidbits that you can take away and use in your own life. So I don't want to talk too much, let's get right into this interview. So without further ado, this is 1000 Voices and here we have Davinia Tomlinson. Thank you for coming to the podcast today Davinia, how are you? I'm good, thank you Tevin, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you for coming down. Much appreciated. And like I was just saying to you before, I think um, your background is super interesting and I thought it would be very, very good to get you on. Love what you're doing with Raincheck and the community you're building. The very, you know, the really good work that you and the team are doing there. So I thought it would be great to get you on board. For people who may not know what Raincheck is, can you just give us a little bit of an introduction as to what the company does? Yeah, so Raincheck is now four years old and it really exists to help women build sustainable long-term wealth. Um, and we do that through a variety of different means. We have a community of rainmakers, as I call them, who are you know women from all walks of life, different backgrounds, incomes, ethnicities, um, geographies. So it's a global community. And uh, we offer qualified and regulated financial advice through female financial advisors. We offer financial education, coaching, and also, of course, that sense of community in recognition of the fact that there are a number of financial challenges that women face that have, you know, the potential to impede uh, our ability to build economic wealth. And so it's really important that we come together as a community, that we're able to learn from one another in, you know, what is arguably a safe and inclusive environment and one in which women feel um, that they're able to ask any questions that they might possibly have, all in the spirit of achieving the objectives that they have for themselves and for their families. That's perfect. Definitely something that's very much needed. I mean, there's clear wealth gaps, you know, that wealth gender gap. I've heard all sorts of different arguments from different people like, oh, the gap exists because of this or because of that, or it's not real, but et cetera, et cetera. Blah, 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 blah. I think that if you look into it, the gap, whether, whatever the reasons are for it, the gap exists. And I think that is definitely something that needs to be closed. I'm a strong believer in having an equal society across every, what's the word, every kind of metric. So whether it's gender-based or racial-based or whatever. So yeah, love the work you and the, you and the team are doing. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, it's all good. So just to start off with, yeah, so you're, you're building this community essentially to help women take control of their financial futures in a, mm. in a very short short form. Looking at your own upbringing in your own life, let's talk about the women in your own life. In what way did they lay the foundation for you, you know, doing the kind of work you're doing right now? I love that question, Tevin. Like I could talk about this all, like it could take up the whole podcast. So <laughs> I come from a super matriarchal, uh, traditionally Caribbean family um, and it is one in which despite there being you know very strong and influential men very inspiring men in my family um, certainly when it comes to you know I, I wouldn't just say just financial but you know when we think about uh, all of my achievements to date I have a massive tribe of female supporters champions and cheerleaders in my family from aunties my mom of course sister cousins and um, I suppose importantly 
grandmothers who have not just paved the way, but who, you know, have got such strong conviction in themselves, such strong self-belief. And that has been very much a catalyst for lots of the things that I've gone on to achieve in my life, because effectively I come from a background in which the, the expectations were very high of me, but the women around me were very vocal and continue to be very vocal and active supporters of everything that I do. So, you know, when I think about my grandmother in particular, my maternal grandmother, she was one of the earliest inspirations for the business that Raincheck has now grown to become. She was the first person in my life that I knew growing up who had a financial advisor. We don't come from, a, you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Um, we don't come from a super wealthy background. The richness in our family comes from the, the strength of our relationships and the love and support that we have for one another. And, you know, when you consider, you know, I, I wouldn't even say she's Windrush generation because she um, came following Windrush, but still in the 60s to come to the UK and, you know, work very gruelling um, kind of uh, manual labour in factories. And still, you know, lots of the women in that generation and the men too, but certainly the women in that generation who quite often had left children behind, as my grandmother had done. You come to the UK, it's a strange foreign land. It's unfriendly. You're unwelcome. And you're having to eke out a living as well as send money back home to support not just the children you left behind, but other younger siblings, family members, etc. And there was this real sense of community and of investing, paying it forward, but also giving back to the communities that you've come from. Um, and these are the, the individuals that were building wealth very slowly. Um, in my family's case, it was through property. And, you know, at the time, if you imagine that, you know, many of us uh, within the black community, and I know that this is true of other ethnicities, we weren't even able, things like getting access to mortgages and things like that, or loans, it was just an impossibility for us. So we had to support one another through our various susu or partner hand or whatever, um, pool our resources, save money. And, you know, I, I really think that there is something that we could learn a lot from in terms of the interdependency between people in these communities where we were lending a supportive hand to people that needed help the most. And quite often those, you know, those partner hands and those uh, community structures were led by women. And my grandmother was very much one of those women. And so if you fast forward, you know, through over the course of her life, as I say, she was, we were very working class, but there was this really strong work ethic and um, commitment to education and wanting, you know, her children and grandchildren to be their very best selves. So, you know, she, we were always striving for excellence in everything that we did. And as a result, you know, of, of her diligence and um, her focus on improving the prospects, not just for herself, but for family members, she was in a position where she was like, right, I need to speak to someone about how I manage my money, which when you consider today all of the various financial gaps that exist, it really requires a level of foresight and confidence in yourself to have a financial advisor who not only looks nothing like you, doesn't come from a, a similar, a, anywhere near the same background, um, but my grand's financial advisor was a middle-aged white man called Peter, who became very much an integral part of our family. He would come, he would talk to my gran, he would sit down and have dinner with us and have a cup of tea. Um, he would give her financial advice and she was able to build a really solid nest egg as a result of that. And there are a number of lessons from that, of course, um, not just, you know, being resourceful in your money management and budgeting, but I think also taking that, um, financial prowess and know-how to the next level. So when you think about Raincheck, you know, I, I'm very keen to make sure that I'm not um, reducing money management to its lowest common denominator. Everybody needs to know how to budget irrespective of gender. 
But when it comes to women, quite often the narrative is focused um, almost exclusively on discounting, saving money, budgeting. And in order to build wealth, of course, we have to think about more strategic financial planning and financial management. So how can I invest? How can I build a portfolio? How can I diversify that portfolio? Um, and my grandmother was ahead of the game when it came to that. So when I was building Raincheck, she was also one of the first investors in the business. She was my number one angel investor. And I, so I think in a number of different ways, you know, the business that Raincheck is, and, and I suppose in many respects, the woman that I now am, is in large part due to the matriarchy in my family and the women that I was surrounded by. So now having two daughters, that's very much a legacy that I hope to carry forward into their lives as well. That's an amazing background you've set there. And it sounds like you come from a very financially prudent family. Like your grandmother yeah. has gone, and gone, and, and <laughs> gone out of her way to go and get a financial advisor. Shout out to Peter. <laughs> <laughs> we love Peter. Yeah. So but it's, it's really cool, you know, having that kind of a background. I think it helps to set sort of a setting um, for the kind of person you are today. And before we get into some of the more tangible bits of advice around financial advice and that, for you personally, so you've grown up in you know very matriarchal type family, very financially prudent, you know, with whatever you've had, you've been you're smart with the money you've got. And for you, you've gone into typically what is probably a typically I don't know what you know compared to other industries and that kind of thing, but finance isn't you know, I work in finance and it's not necessarily it's not usually you don't get a lot of women in finance. No. Uh, so you've got, <laughs> so you, you've gone into what is typical, well, quite a difficult field to have gone into as a woman, as a black woman. Uh, mm. Can you point to any kind of key experiences? I know you've worked a few different roles as well, but is there any key experiences that you've gone through, whether in your professional life or even personally, that you feel led you um, in the in before you founded Raincheck? Any key experiences you've gone through that really pushed you to um, found Raincheck? Yeah, you know, I think, um, I mean, of course, coming from the background that I come from helped, being a mother of daughters helped. But I think working in the industry, you know, I always had a love for numbers. Um, I wasn't one of those people. Again, I come from a family in which and my dad actually was quite a feminist. And so, you know, it's just me and my sister. I don't have any brothers. And so there was never any talk in my household about women's subjects or men's subjects you know, anything at all that we expressed an interest in. And even if my, you know, if my dad ever felt that we were trying to undercut ourselves or undersell ourselves, you know, he's a very traditionally kind of very strong, um, quite fearsome um, character in my life, but, you know, traditionally Jamaican father. And there was just no opportunity for us to be like, oh, well, I, you know, I'm not really into maths or I'm not really into economics or, you know, they're too hard or those subjects are for boys. There was just no talk of that in my household. So therefore I didn't grow up internalising any of those stories. The stories we grew up internalising were, this is what, you know, our expectations are of you. And this is the potential that we know you have. And so your only responsibility, we don't expect you to pay bills. You don't have to do anything except, you know, clean or whatever, you know, traditional Caribbean household. You know, we don't have any expectation of you to, to go out and do hard labour. That's our responsibility. But your responsibility is to learn your lesson and be the best that you can be. So for me, any of those subjects that I wanted to pursue... I, you know, threw myself into them wholeheartedly. Um, I always talk about this film that I watched probably before an age that I should have been watching it, but I loved this movie, Working Girl, that came out in the 80s. And it's, you know, it has these two kind of power women that were working in the city and they were, of course, pitted against one another. But it left a lasting impression on me that, wow, there are women that are working in these, these fields. And so I was always very um, seduced by the bright lights of the city and the trading floor and the world of finance and what I 
perceived it to be. Um, so then I went onto a graduate scheme at one of the world's largest asset management firms. Um, I think there were probably 10 people in the cohort that I joined. I was one of three women, I think, two or three women, of course, the only black woman. That picture was very much, um, you know, the same when, you know, when I we got into the company and we looked around at all the different departments. But again, I'm not somebody that really carries the weight of responsibility of, um, you know, I don't approach things through a lens of, oh, I'm the only one in this environment or I've got to set, set an example. Or I've got to, I don't carry those responsibilities for better or worse, to be honest. You know, so I very much went in there being my full and authentic self. And one of the things that, you know, I realized quite early on was that there will always be people that will be looking to pigeonhole you, that will be looking to, um, you know, lean into stereotypes that they might have about black people. And, you know, I would receive feedback in the early days that I was too straightforward or too direct or too assertive. And there was a point in my career when I started to think, oh, well, you know, I'm receiving this feedback quite consistently, you know, so I need to manage myself differently if I want to get promoted and I would seek out mentors and coaches and that helped me quite a lot but then there was a, a certain point where I was like no this is really not how I was raised to be and I cannot shrink my personality I'm quite an extrovert I'm very chatty um very friendly but at the same time I'm also somebody that will call you out on things and I've always been that way at the very earliest part of my career when I perhaps could have been a bit quieter I wasn't um, and, you know, you, you have to sometimes suffer the consequences of, of that behaviour and recognising that, you know, the world of work and particularly corporate life can be quite political. Um, but I think it's really important that, you know, one of the things in my journey that led me to establishing Raincheck is that being my full and authentic self was something that I never shied away from. But what I had started to realise is that other women around me were feeling that they had to contort themselves into all of these different positions that were uncomfortable to them in order to achieve success, in order to get promoted. And that saddened me quite a lot. But, you know, that, you know certainly in the earliest parts of my career, there wasn't much that I could do about it except to kind of gently nudge them and encourage them. And then as I started to acquire more seniority then for the women that reported into me to um, give them the opportunity to shine to um, encourage them to just be themselves and to not feel that they had to present as extrovert if they were actually more introverted or to feel that they had to leap through any of these hoops, but instead to just shine in their own individual ways. Um, and, but then from a more pre professional perspective, you know, recognising that working in some of these um, blue chip companies and being exposed to high net worth individuals, institutions ma managing money, um, on behalf of millions of investors, you know, across the UK, for recognising that the proportion of women that were being managed, you know, or whose assets we were managing was negligible. You know, when we looked at the data, it was very male dominated. And of course, that picture was represented in terms of the people that were managing the money as well. When you looked at it in the boardroom, the higher up you went, the more male it becomes, um, the whiter it becomes as well, you know, speaking very candidly. And so as a result, what happens is when you have people that have a seat at the table or are responsible for developing products or making decisions about the lives that ultimately impact the lives of millions of people, if you are not represented in those decision making forums or around those boardroom tables, then, of course, your uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know what how you would describe it, your um, your needs are, are just not going to be catered to. Because, of course, they can only see life through their own lens. It's impossible for them to understand what you might be trying to achieve. 
And so that, you know, really planted the seed very early on. And then fast forward many years later, you know, over a decade later, when I realised, wow, the same challenges that I observed at the start of my career still exist today. We still have women, you know, when I looked within my group of friends, very talented, supremely well-educated women who are earning a good amount of money, can't get access to good quality financial advice, don't really know where to turn, aren't making or not feeling that they're making the right financial decisions. Lots of them are making good financial decisions, but had no idea they've got no benchmark or baseline from which to gauge uh, whether they're doing the right things or not. And then when you look at, you know, these various chasms that that existed, you know, in terms of uh, the bonuses that were being paid to people and the gaps that existed there from a financial perspective, the gender pay gap, the pensions gap, which sees women retiring with a pension part, a fraction of the size of their male counterparts. All of these things, I was like, well, this is now just, I don't even know if you're allowed to cuss on this podcast, but this is just BS. (laughs) You know, we shouldn't have people. (laughs) (laughs) We shouldn't have women in this situation. Not today, not with all the knowledge that we have. Um, And there's a whole body of data and research, which, you know, I don't necessarily need to recite all of the stats, but you you can look around and I'm sure even within your group of family and friends, you can see that with the women that you know are super bright, super talented, are just not where they should be financially. And so from that, Rain Check was born. That's really good. And I, yes, there's a lot you can unpack from that. I like the part when you're talking about when you're early on in your career and trying to, you know, you, you said that you were quite straightforward sometimes and all of that kind of thing. <laughs> I think there's like a balance to strike with that because yeah. there's a part where it's like well, maybe you feel like whatever you should turn it down or whatever but at the same time <laughs> at the same time I think that's for anyone as well you got to like you don't want to be a pushover in the workplace yes. you, kinda, you have to be able to speak your mind and I think people respect that over time anyway mm. you know, I think people, you know, you've got to be able to say what's on your mind what's on your chest and really um, push what you believe in um, completely agree I mean I, th- I think you, I mean you're quite right I think And sometimes, I mean, I think, I I mean, when I look back now, I've had some brilliant bosses over the years. I've had some brilliant mentors of um, both men and women and, of course, different races as well. And you're absolutely right. There is a place to tone it down because when you're learning, you have to be open to receiving information. But this is not that I'm I'm somebody that has always loved learning, always loved uh, seeking out knowledge from other people. Um, So I don't have that kind of arrogance or ego. But the one thing that I cannot tolerate is rudeness or disrespect or being undermined. And so those things I cannot be quiet about. And that was always my big challenge. You know, how do you humble yourself? As the, you know, the, it, there's always this kind of tension between humility, but as you say, being a pushover or having people walk all over you or feel that it is okay to, to be disrespectful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm the same. I'm really not a big fan. I always talk to my wife about it. I don't have really fancy <laughs> rudeness because for me, no. I, feel, I feel like I'm really, I'm nice to everyone else. So like, when, Agreed. when I get rudeness back, I'm like, nah, man. <laughs> we, 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 can't, we can't be doing this. Exactly. So I'm, I'm the same. I'm not a fan of it at all. <laughs> all, right. all right, let's talk rain check here. Can you, um, can you paint a picture as to what it was like, like the realities of what it was like for you when you were founding Raincheck, how, yeah, what the, you know, what the work that went into that and also some of the key challenges that um, you had to go through when you were founding the business. Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, I mean, I went into it with full enthusiasm, um, 
full of optimism but I think it's a bit like it's like for any parents listening it's one of those things where you like you don't know as you can read all the books and you can go to all the classes and you can get all the advice from other people who've been there and done it but it's not until you're a parent yourself that you're like oh my god like nobody told me about this part or nobody told me about that part I don't know I, I, I just didn't expect this and I think building a business is quite similar um and so I suppose for me one of the big challenges was trying to get people to understand and recognize why not so much why there was a need for a, a proposition like this because I think the evidence was clear you know there, there are all of these financial challenges that women face faced and continue to face but it was more you know well, why why is raincheck the right solution you know there are there are a number of banks that already exist investment banks financial advisory firms retail banks they already exist like why why wouldn't women just go to them you know why do we need why do we need this this female only proposition? And there were some people, not very many, but there were one or two. And, you know, it's always the negative voices that seem the loudest in your mind. But there were one or two negative voices that were like, well, this feels discriminatory or this feels like you're segregating women from everybody else. Why would women want to be singled out? You know, I don't. And, and this was coming from men as well as women. There were men who were saying to me, but this is this sounds brilliant. Like I need financial advice. If you make it just for women, Dad, then I couldn't come to you and be one of your customers. And I really had to dig deep. And have the courage of my convictions and being like, no, it's really, really important that this is a female only space or for people that identify as women. It's really important that we feel that we've got our own because money, as I say, is such an intrinsic part of all of our lives. And I think for women, there is a story that has continued to be told, which is that it's unladylike to talk about money. It's vulgar to talk about money. You leave the money talk to the men. Um, you know, anybody that even for women that are trying to climb the career ladder or excel professionally, they are viewed in a certain way. They are viewed as icy or frosty or, you know, everybody knows those stereotypical tropes about the women that succeed in the workplace and some of the, the mean things that others will say about them. And so there is a real reluctance and reticence from lots of women to feel like, I really want to, you know, actually, I, I do want to, I want to make a million pounds. I do want to be a millionaire or I do want to buy a holiday home here or there. And you have, you kind of harbour these secrets which is silly when you think of it, because men are happy to talk about these things, you know, generally speaking. But I think women had been, lots of us have been conditioned or trained, even within our families, not to be talking about these things. And so pushing through and trying to communicate clearly and succinctly as to why there was such a need for a proposition like Raincheck was my first challenge. The second challenge, of course, practically would have been the financing. So, you know, I've built, you know, Raincheck has been bootstrapped. It's really been, you know, it's been propelled by word of mouth by um, the, the strength of the community, by women who have had brilliant experiences and who will then tell their friends and tell family members. And so it's really encouraging for me that the vast majority of rain makers are uh, the result of a handful of women who started as almost founding members, founding rainmakers, and they told everybody they knew and they invited me into their companies. And then those companies invited me to speak at you know their various women's networks or even on behalf of the entire company so men were there as well because I think it's really important that men are part of this conversation um, and so it just kind of mushroomed and snowballed from there which I think is testament to the fact that women not only are getting such benefit from what you know the service that we're providing but also that they recognize gosh I really need to tell my mom about this I need to tell my auntie or my sister or whoever um, but certainly I think financing a business in the early stages 
when you're trying to do it yourself, because I did have a number of conversations potentially with VCs and, it, you know, there were lots of doors that were shut in my face. There were also lots of people that were open to these conversations. But on balance, I realised that for the, the kind of business I wanted to build, I wanted it to build organically and to grow on its own steam. And therefore, I didn't feel that some of the financing arrangements that were available to me through VC or angel investor networks would have been appropriate at that stage. There may be a stage in future when they are appropriate, but for what I wanted to do, it just wasn't right. So there was that. And I think the third challenge is then finding people who can support you in building the business. Um, because, you know, I started life having a business partner and then that didn't work out. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead because I believe very deeply in this proposition and I'm going to be a solo founder. But it's incredibly hard. Anybody that runs a business by themselves that doesn't have a co-founder in place through, you know, with whom you can share that burden, even just the mental burden of what are we doing? What's the strategy? What's the direction? That's really hard. And that's a challenge that I continue to grapple with. So now that there are a small number of women that I work with who love the business, love what we're doing and themselves are championing what we're doing within their own networks, it makes a big difference. But it's not without challenge, not at all. And I think it would be disingenuous for anyone running a business to not describe that, because I think for me, leaving the corporate world and moving to running my own business, there are many upsides. As a mom, it means that I can build my business around the needs of my daughters. So that's great. The downside is that I'm always working. I, you know, I'm, it, and I, and I don't mean that in a kind of hashtag team, no days off. Like I'm trying to be a, you know, like I'm trying to strive for this rapper style, you know, I'm hustling all the time. You are hustling all the time, but more importantly, it's the idea that wherever you go, even if you're on holiday, you're always on demand. And that's quite a difficult thing as well, because it means that you can never switch off. So, I mean, there are a number of challenges associated, but, you know, it's really rewarding at the same time. Can you talk about your work ethic then, particularly the fact that you're a mother with two daughters? Can you talk about your work ethic yeah. and running the business alongside motherhood and just other interests you have as well? <laughs> I love that. I like the, the part about and the other interests, like I, there's time for other interests. <laughs> but you're right. I do have to make time for other interests because I have a lot of energy. So it's good in this in the sense of, I'm always thinking, my mind is always ablaze. I'll have an idea. I'll run it past one of the other members of the team and I'll say, right, we're doing this. And they're like, yeah, brilliant dab, let's do it. And then immediately we get things going. Um, so I'm, or I'm relentless in pursuit of delivering a service that I know will deliver value to the Rainmakers. Um, and I really mean that. I mean, anybody that has been part of the community will know that they can ask me a question. It will always be answered. Um, that I'm not rigid around, you know, we have these monthly masterclasses, for example, that should be an hour. They in regularly will go on for an hour and a half. I'm not like precious about, because for me, it's about every woman that comes through the Rainmaker community needs to leave, not necessarily being an evangelist for the brand or anything like that, but needs to leave being able to apply the principles of what she's learned into her day-to-day -day life and to improve her quality of life, not just for herself, but for other people. So it's that ripple effect that's really important to me. So I am relentless in thinking, how can I make this better? How can I make it so that for people that are like me, who might be busy professionals, there might be moms, they might not, they might have other responsibilities, people are in you know, various different stages of life, but that they can get what they need and then apply it straight away. This is not a talking shop. It has to be, you're learning something that you can do something with straight away. So yeah, I have to be very ruthless and very disciplined with my time. I mean, there are lots of people, I'm sure, who are like, gosh, Dav's gone completely underground. We don't see her. And I'm like, you know, well, when I'm out, then I'm going to be all the way out and you'll see me. But then when I'm working, 
I don't have the time to be on the phone for an hour like I used to be. So there are lots of things like that that I've had to shift. Um, I'm not somebody that, that will take the time to do things like that. But then equally, I will carve out time for you know, I've got to, I've got to work out because of the energy, like I've got to burn off energy each day. And so I will find ways to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do to stay up. Um, and I think the other thing that's become more prominent since running this business is, and I talk all the time to the Rainmakers about this, but of course, whilst your financial well-being is an important part of your overall well-being, I have to remember to, for myself, that when I'm talking to the Rainmakers, I'm applying the same lessons to myself. So from a financial well-being perspective, I absolutely will do but then there are all of the other aspects of wellness. So, Dav, are you feeling good today? What is your mental well-being like? What is your emotional well-being like? Do you need to take a break? Do you need to go for a walk and get some fresh air? What are the things that I need to do to stay up, to stay upbeat and to, to be my best self? Because, of course, there are times when I'm dropping the ball, but then I need to know how do I get back on it and not run myself into the ground. And I think that, you know, when you are a solopreneur, again, it's that pressure and so what I'm trying to do is to turn it into a really positive thing by saying, if everything rests on your shoulders, you've really got it. You are the biggest asset in the business. So you have to preserve yourself and kind of treat yourself like gold. It's, uh, so I'm good at that. I'm good at treating myself like gold. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> I want to touch on that first challenge you raised when you know, all of these dissenting voices and everything that you hear when you're starting your business up. Especially as a solopreneur, you're all by yourself and you've got all sorts of people who probably have a view as to how you should run your how you should run your business. And then you've come in with like your vision for one day originally. Did you ever go through any kind of phase, even maybe even now actually, where you've got people coming and this caused you to sort of steer off track and then you've had to come back because people have told you something so many times and you've you know, gone away from your vision and then you've realized, oh wait, no wait, this isn't what I wanted to do. Let's get back to basics. Yeah, I love that. Um, and yes, absolutely yes. So um, originally, and particularly when I had um, a business partner, one of the things that we had talked about was building this big tech platform. And it was going to be one that we were going to we were going to make it transactional and we were going to turn it into a big robo advisor. And, you know, that because that that was the, the problem that we wanted to solve. We wanted to scale. You know, everything is about tech. You know, everybody wants all the startups want to be in tech crunch and, you know, be raising millions through VC um, and all of that. There is a real allure at the moment um, for entrepreneurs. You want to raise millions of pounds and, you know, it garners a lot of press coverage and all of that. So we had just come out of business school. We just finished our MBAs. And of course, our mindset was very much there. We want to raise millions. And. When we decided that we weren't going to be business partners anymore and it was just me, I went back to basics from the perspective of saying, well, hang on a second, Dav. Even if the tech platform is in the future, what is the problem that you were trying to solve? And where does the tech come in in helping you solve that? So, of course, there is a place for tech. Raincheck is a global business. We deliver the, the, proper, the, the masterclasses and everything else online. All of the content is housed online. But I recognise that it's important that people feel they can get access to a person. And, you know, I felt that in my gut. I felt that in my spirit, that it couldn't just be a faceless kind of, OK, women will come on board because they love rain checking. It's a super glossy brand and it seems exciting and cool and whatever else. They don't see anybody. They'll, they'll know that I run the business and maybe they'll be like, oh, it's a female founded business. You know, that's good. But they'll never see me. They'll never hear from me. We don't interact all of the messages that they receive will be automated or by a bot or they'll have a live chat function and it's just never me that they, they get. And that really didn't feel good to me. And so I had to kind of balance up 
well, Dav, you're not going to scale as quickly as you would like to if, if you're putting yourself in the heart of the business. If you have the tech platform, you can reach the t- tens or hundreds, potentially of thousands of people quickly, particularly if you get you know a VC uh, uh, backer that can help you to build this strategy to scale. But if you put yourself in the center of the business, there's only a finite number of women that you can speak to at any one time. So how is that going to work? How will you make the numbers work? Is this business model one that is viable? Because how are you going to make a living? You've got to, you know, you've got to finance your daughters and everything else. And I trusted my instincts and I trusted my gut. And I was like, this is a longer road. This is a slow road. But it's very much, I mean, it's back to the ethos of Raincheck, which is we are not about overnight riches or overnight success. We're always talking about sustainable long-term wealth. So for the women that are like, okay, oh my gosh, I'm in a real bind and I need to make money quickly. I have had those conversations with women where I'm like, well, Raincheck may not be the right proposition for you. There might be something else that is better. Um, And I put, you know, I was painstakingly slow in those early days. I used to speak to every single prospect because I had the time to. It's not like there were thousands of people that were lining up at the door, like on day one. I had the time to speak to women and those women I'm sure will remember, you know, I would, they would schedule time in my diary before any money changed hands. There was no way for them to pay for the service unless they'd spoken to me first because I wanted to gauge whether they were going to get value from the service and whether what they were looking for was what we were offering. That was really important to me as well. And through doing so, not only was I able to build relationships and start that relationship building process very early on, but I was also able to glean quite a lot of information from women themselves in terms of where their minds were at, what were some of the unique challenges that they were facing and what was the line of best fit across them all in terms of building something that has now morphed into a curriculum of content that is available via video, you know, it's recorded, as well as me being able to deliver some of the live sessions as well. But you definitely have to have the courage of your convictions because there really was, despite me having this kind of, it's almost like having a stitch and you're like, you're trying to get rid of the stitch in your side and someone's, you know, you're talking every time you have a meeting, we're talking about this tech platform, we're talking about customer acquisition costs and, you know, doing the SEO and PPC and all of these things to get the message out quickly. And what is it going to cost and how long is it going to take you to get there and the conversion rates, and the lifetime value, all of these things that entrepreneurs building big tech platforms and wanting to scale quickly are consumed by. And I was like, that's not the kind of business I'm trying to build. I want it to feel organic and slow and steady. And I have to know my rainmakers because I'm in this to know the women. I'm a woman's woman and I love building, you know, chatting with other women and just helping them to achieve what they want to achieve. And I was like, my approach is the one that will suit me better and hopefully is one that will potentially become commercially more sustainable and more lucrative over the long term. That's really good. I like that. And as you're talking, it reminded me of this video. Have you seen this video of Steve Jobs on YouTube and then like some person in the crowd gets up and just criticizes him basically in front of the whole conference? <laughs> no, yeah. I need to watch it. What does he say? It's really good. He, he gives like a good comeback and that talking about he has a vision, etc, etc. But what I really mm. liked about what he was saying, um, which what reminded me, what you were saying reminded me of was when he talked, he spoke about how with Apple, everything he'd done, he always started off with the customer experience and never started off with the technology in of itself. He never mm. started off by going to engineers and saying, okay, let's build the fanciest build operating this. system ever. No, it was like, let's start <laughs> with the customers first and then work back and then we build it. Then it's similar to what, that's what I was getting from you because you was like, you guys are talking about PPC and this tech platform and RoboAdvisor, etc. But mm. then he's like, nah, let's take it back. Let's talk to the women and build something right? like that. Start with the customer experience first and then the yes. technology is like the ecosystem around it. The technology works great, but um, yeah, having technology for yeah. technologies 
um, sake. It's nice. Don't I get fail. me wrong, but it doesn't, you know. It is nice and it's glossy and people love, I love technology too, but I'm like, but tech has to be an enabler to delivering something. I'm like, if, if the, the foundations of the business were like really janky, I'm like, no amount of tech is going to cover up. It's like polishing a turd, isn't it? No <laughs> amount of tech is going to cover up something that sucks. So yeah. I'm like, you know, I want to get this right. And, and to the women, I attract people, you attract your tribe. I've attracted my people. So even if the Rainmakers, you know, we're all, we're completely disparate backgrounds and you know, lots of women are very similar to me, but there are lots of women within the community that are very different. We all can still get on really well because we're committed to a common objective, which is to uplift ourselves financially. That's great. All right. Let's talk about closing these wealth divides. What are some of the main challenges that you see? No, actually not even challenges. What would you say is some of the main mistakes that um, you see women are making when it comes to just financial literacy in general mm, i think um by undermining ourselves and telling ourselves the story that we, we don't do numbers and we we don't do money when actually women are managing their household budgets on speed they you know if you, if you, you and i bet you, you know you've, you've talked about your wife for example i bet you like you know just in in terms of knowing what's happening what are the what's the income what are the outgoings um, you know, keeping things in line, keep it just ma project managing the whole operation. It doesn't mean that she's necessarily managing it independently of you. I'm sure it's a joint venture, but you know what I mean? She knows what's happening for the most part. And I think there are quite often lots of women we're so multi-talented. And I always say, when I speak, get the opportunity to speak to Rainmakers one-to-one, -one, I'm like, and they'll say, oh gosh, Dav, I'm so behind. I should have been doing this, or I wish I'd met you 10 years ago, or I should have done that. And I'm like, but let's talk about all the things you've already done in the 10 years. You've already done so many amazing things and it's easy for us to forget the things we've done because we focus on the things that we're not quite doing. So I think the biggest challenge is not even so much, you know, specifically, oh, women aren't paying into their pension. We are quite often paying into a pension or women aren't budgeting. It's not really that. The biggest challenge that I see for women is this is psychological when it comes to money. The stories we tell ourselves, the stories we've inherited from others, the stories society gives us, we internalize all of those things. And I think it's not always, um, I think that there are, of course, we absorb all of those things by osmosis, but I would like us to take responsibility for those stories and be like, no, not today, not today. The story I'm telling myself is I, I, I know what I'm doing and what I don't know I can learn. I have the ability to figure things out um, and I can do hard things. So it's about that rewiring process. So it's recognizing that there are a number of competing forces. There are lots of institutional and structural challenges in the workplace and elsewhere. When women return from maternity leave, for example, you know, that's hard. When women are trying to, um, you know, recoup uh, those gaps in their pension as a result of taking career breaks or whatever, that's a hard thing. But it's about, it's about saying, what do I have control over and what can I do from this standpoint? That is the thing that I think is really important. So it really is for me, psychological and mindset related versus anything else what steps can women start to take to to work on that psychological aspect of things mm. i think the first step is being honest with yourself and you know almost documenting if you have to write it down and just saying what what do i what do i think about myself and my relationship with money you know what do i think about my ability to manage my money be really honest and i always run this exercise at the start of every cohort of the uh, members club so I did it last night, actually, with some of the Rainmakers. And I was like, well, what's your relationship with money? One word, don't overthink it very quickly. And invariably, I'll get, you know, sometimes I get uh, really positive responses, you know, from women who were like, you know, in control, um, confident, empowered. But then I get a lot of frustrated, 
anxious, unsure, uncertain, behind. It's all of these kinds of things. And I would say three quarters of the responses I get whenever I run that exercise. Now, I've not run it with men to be able to compare and contrast, but I would, I believe that it's the likelihood is that a man is more likely to, whether or not he believes it, say, in control or wealth, wealth in wealth creation mode, hustling or whatever. Some of these, like this, this, this terminology that, you know, I think men have internalized. So I think just being clear, the start point is understanding what are the true and honest stories that I'm telling myself? What, am I, what is my relationship with money? Where did these stories come from? So this is step two. Did you learn it in your household? Quite often we pick up these things from our family members, watching our mom, watching our dad, what was their relationship in the household? How was money talked about? And then number three is saying, right, how can I swap, make some of these gentle swaps to intercept any toxic or negative behaviours that I've got around money? Not all of the behaviours will be toxic. I'm sure there are lots of us that have got really positive behaviours. But anything that's toxic, we've got to start to call it out. But we've got to do so in a way that is considered and active. We can't passively be like, oh, you know, I'm not very good with money. And just, you know, just, just be like, well, that, that's just my story. We, we are in control of our stories. That's the thing that I think, you know, and the thing that I would implore all women to recognise, whether it comes to money or anything else. And also, I think there is something about recognising your start point doesn't have to be your end point. So if you were, you know, originally someone that was like, oh, you know, I'm, I, money just slips through my fingers. As soon as I get it, I, it goes. I'm constantly in debt. It doesn't mean that you can't change. It doesn't mean you can't learn a new approach. So I think it's that understanding our programming deprogramming ourselves from that and then reprogramming into something better those are the steps yeah that's really good and i really like that second step as well actually but trying to understand where this kind of a mindset has come from i feel like there's definitely there's a lot of power in just really realizing stuff not even just like reading it in a book but looking at it and realizing that wow that's me <laughs> really realizing <laughs> that because when yes when you get that kind of realization it's, it's so mind life changing it's like wow I've, mm. I've had those kind of realizations about myself not necessarily in this context but i've had those before like i had that when i wanted to start this podcast and i was just procrastinating like for so long i, I had the idea for so long get putting off putting off putting off and i think i was reading a book and the book was talking about procrastination and where it comes from and it stands for fear of failure and i'm just reading it and i'm like wow mm. did this guy is he writing about me <laughs> 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 And it just mm. it hit me and I'm like, wow. So I think there's definitely a lot of power in that. A lot of power. Yeah, there is. And also in this in the community as well. So with like your the Rainmaker community and having that kind of a that kind of a collective energy there where you've got people who are all striving towards one thing and you've got that collective kind of good energy. But when you're surrounded, you know you hear these quotes like your what's it the five people that are closest to you you're going yes i'm, I'm butchering it but you, you know what i'm saying like the five people closest definitely to you, yeah you you're the thing. product of the five closest people to you or something that's, like that that's the one yeah so when you're in that so yeah. when you in those kind of circles you move in those kind of circles you hear that kind of positive language around you all the time you start to internalize it over time as well so i think um community building definitely very 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 important you know for challenging these kind of mindsets in any facet in mm. finance or whatever area of your life you're trying to improve um, just look mm -hmm. for a community of people <laughs> in whatever area exactly that is. look for your people completely agree yeah we've uh, so earlier on uh, somewhere yeah earlier on you spoke about um in terms of building wealth having to invest what kind of investment tips have you got for women who are looking to improve their wealth mm. i think um so for people that are just starting out that have never invested before um that are 
you know, they're, they're unsure and, you know, that I think with lots of women, you know, there's a phenomenon known as reckless caution where women have a predisposition to saving their money in cash because they think, you know, on balance, cash saving looks safer. The stock market is so volatile and particularly now, you know, at the time of recording, we're in a particularly volatile um, time globally when it comes to the economy and the stock market. And of course, that will incite even more fear into people that have never invested. The thing that I would say to women for in the first instance is that over a long-term period, so this is the thing, when we talk about rain check, it's always about that sustainability and building long-term wealth. It's not overnight success and overnight riches. Um, the stock market is almost 99% certain to outperform cash saving over an 18-year period. That was based on a study by Barclays um, Capital a number of years ago. There are a number of studies that um, will you know, demonstrate similar stats because effectively what you are benefiting from is compound interest which means that in addition to any growth in your investment you know as businesses um, succeed do really well pay you out in dividends or whatever um, that compound interest will basically be reinvested back into your investment and then you you have the ability to gain access to potentially exponential returns over the long term versus if you held your money in cash and particularly now when cash savings accounts are only paying sub one percent at most two percent um your you know versus you generating significantly more than that and of course that that cash will be then eroded by inflation versus you putting your money into the stock market holding it for a long-term period being willing to look away and ride out any volatility in the stock market you have a much better chance of generating a return so it's the reason why our pension funds are held in the stock market and that's the other thing that i would say to women if you feel in a position right now where you're cash strapped and you can't start investing lots of us are already invested anyway but we, we wouldn't even know it because we don't recognize that our pensions or our retirement savings funds have invested in the stock market and that's really important as well because we have to have an understanding of where our money is going if you're paying into a pension fund or your company's paying into it on your behalf it's still your money you need to have an understanding of where that money is so you're already an investor so that's a really good place to begin just understand where that pension is being invested and understand the level of risk associated with your pension you can't get access to it now anyway but the reason it, your pension is invested into the stock market is that otherwise they would just hold it in cash there is a reason why it's in the stock market because they know over the long term it will generate way potentially way more in returns than your cash savings and that is what we need in order to to live comfortably in retirement um, I think from a practical perspective, you know, for women who are thinking, well, I wouldn't even know which fund to select, Dad, like it's easy for you to say invest, but invest where? I would always say there are a number of apps and there are a number of robo-advice companies that have been set up specifically to promote this sense of financial inclusion and to democratise access to investments for people that the average retail investor who has no knowledge. So um, two examples that I always give, I have no affiliation with either, but one is Wealthify and one is Nutmeg. Wealthify is now Aviva Bats and I believe Nutmeg is JP Morgan. Um, but effectively, these robo-advisors provide you with a very simple decision tree through which it will ask you a number of questions. It will assess your, you know, what's your appetite for risk? What level of risk can you afford to bear in terms of, you know, how much can you afford? And then it will, um, it will ask you, you know, what kinds of things are you interested in? Do you have a particular interest in tech or, you know, are you trying to invest ethically? What kinds of values do you hold and how will this influence your portfolio? And then it will make a very simple recommendation to you. And then you will set it up. You might set it up on a, you know, based on a lump sum that you've got or based on like a, you know, £25 a month standing order. That's the best way for you to get the ball rolling because you are not having to, to scour the market of thousands of funds and try to pick the ones that you think are doing well. 
that is the, the power in robo-advice. And then at the point at which you feel like, okay, now I, I feel comfortable and confident, I know what I'm doing, then you might decide, right, now I want to add into that my own funds. I want to now set something up with a DIY platform, like a Hargreaves Lansdowne, for example, or an AJ Bell, and pick some myself. Um, and then the third thing that I would say to women is, so, you know, and I've, I've kind of touched on it in the second point, which is that, you know, don't feel like you've got to wait until you've got thousands of pounds already to begin. So if you've got £25 a month that you can invest on a regular basis without compromising your quality of life, start there. When you get a pay increase, increase it. You know, when you get a bonus, add some of the bonus in. Commit to saying 50% of my bonus or 100% of my bonus even. I wouldn't say 100% because I do feel like women we need to have fun. <laughs> Carve out your fun money and then put the rest of the bonus into your investment. I think that's really important. And then maybe finally tax efficiency i know lots of us you know have a fear of anything tax related because we're thinking oh my god of course if you work for a company then you're paying tax through paye but there are a number of incentives offered by the government to promote um or to encourage people to save and invest so the, the biggest one of course is the isa lots of us will already have our savings in isas but quite often as women it would typically be in a cash isa consider moving some of that money hold some money in your cash isa but consider moving some into your stocks and stocks and shares isa um, because in the current tax year, you have up to £20,000 that you can save and invest into your ISA completely tax-free. Um, any income that you generate is tax-free as well. So it's really important that you think about how you can use some of the legitimate tax incentives offered by the UK government or governments globally. There is always some kind of equivalent in many of the, the big nations around the world. Um, but think about how you can use them. Don't just randomly set up something that's got no tax break attached to it. I think that's another important step too. That's really good. That's really good. And on all those investing in tax breaks and everything like that, these are literally topics you could spend hours just delving into. Right. Because, but <laughs> but um, I know it's very sort of like a high level, but it's a you know high level overview and an intro into it. But it's all yeah. very, very important, these things as well. On the compound interest point, yeah, there's this illustration where if you take 1p, and you double it every single day for 30 days, you'll end up with, I think, over £5 million or whatever. If you take wow. one P, which is, that's a very, very stark example of what compound interest can do. If you take one P, double one P, you've got yeah. two P, or what am I going to do? It's two P, four P, eight P. Just keep that <laughs> up and up and up, you million in a month. Yeah, yeah, so, that's wild. Yeah, compound interest is key, and there's loads of, like, really cool compound interest calculators online as well, where you can just put in, like, I'm investing, you know, £20 a month, and you can see... Maybe over a year, you might not see, okay, I've made loads of return. Over two years, you might not see you've made loads of return. 20, 30 years, I can guarantee the return. You're going to look and be like, what? <laughs> exactly. I've got that? Exactly. Like it, yeah. Compound interest is key. So that's those are really, really good tips you shared there. Thank you very much. There's a great quote, actually, um, about, and I can't remember who it's attributed to, but it basically says the best time to plant a tree was a year ago. The second second best time is now. So for anybody that has that feeling of, oh my God, like it's too late, I shouldn't bother. No, still start from today and do it. Cool, you know what's funny about that? My, at work here, my email signature <laughs> literally says the best time to start Lee. was yesterday. The second best time is now. <laughs> and that's my email. Love it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, loads of people yeah. got that really financial stuff in their signatures. I just, I got that. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. It's a cool quote to have and I, I love looking at it all the time. So yeah, that's really good. Thank you very much. Right, we're going to go into a couple reflective type questions now, moving away from finance and more about you and yourself. What has life taught you recently? Hmm. 
I would say in the last three to five years, it has taught me that in a way that, that I've, that, you know, is re has really, I'm trying to think of the best way to, because it's a thing that you know, we all intrinsically know that, you know, life is not promised, live life for today and all of these sorts of things. You hear it, but you're like, oh my God, but I've still got to hustle and I've still got to, and we run ourselves into the ground. We don't make time for rest. We don't make time for the things we want to do. We do everything under a sense of duty and obligation, particularly in the black community and particularly as black women. I'm a supporter and believer in duty and obligation. I think that's really important for societies to thrive. But at the same time, having suffered two very close bereavements uh, within a kind of span of three years of one another, one was my dad, one was my uh, younger cousin who was like a younger brother to me and he died very young. The thing that it taught me is that all of the ambitions that I was saving up it's like when you're saving up, you, you know, you buy a, a good handbag or you buy a good jacket or whatever. And you're like, I'm saving it for a special occasion. Well, you know, and this is going to sound really morbid. We may not get to the point where we get to the special occasion. So we have to make every day a special occasion. And that's a thing that for me, it, I, it, and it doesn't always work. I'm not a saint when it comes to this. But because of those experiences that I've had, that tragedy, it reminds me every day to see the joy in every day. Or at least to remind myself of the great privilege that I have and to be grateful. So then... I don't have complacency around my life anymore. I don't have this kind of, oh, you know, I want to do this and I want to do it in 10 years time. Or I'm going to wait until I've retired. Things that I want to do, I start to put the wheels in motion to do them straight away. It doesn't mean they happen straight away, but I'm not waiting to start them. You know, I don't defer it. I do it straight away. I also put on my good clothes straight away as well. I don't save them. I wear them when I want to. <laughs> so things like this, you know, it's really important, I think, for all of us that we reflect on when will that day come where you get to embrace and seize joy? There is definitely a place for deferred gratification. I really believe that. We can't just be YOLO about everything. But equally, all of that deferring and never enjoying life, never giving ourselves time to breathe, pause, to do the things that we really want to do. I think it's a real shame. And so that's a thing that I, you know, I really try to incorporate into my life as much as possible. That's really good. That's really, really good. Thank you for sharing that, actually, especially with those, um, the personal stories with, you know, your your dad and your younger cousin. Those are, yeah, very, very good, good lessons that you shared there and definitely things I think I would take away myself anyway. I'm definitely one to buy new clothes and hang it up in the cupboard. <laughs> and leave it, <laughs> right. Leave it for a bit. I'm like, I'm yeah. saving it. I'm saving it. <laughs> So I used to save things, Tevin, so long until they were out of style. And then I'm like, well, what? <laughs> <laughs> then you step out like 10 years later in your flared jeans. And you're like, Whoa. That was so 10 yeah. years ago. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. That's all good. Thanks a lot. Uh, if you could live one day of your life all over again, what day would that be? Oh, Tevin, what kind of question is that? That's such a good question. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm not going to say something. Yeah, I'm not going to say something like, because I'm a mum, people are probably like, oh, they probably expect me to say the day I gave birth. <laughs> Absolutely not. Never again. Having the girls now in the world, amazing, but the process, awful. Mm. Um, I think, I, so I very recently relocated. And so I spend half of my time, well, more than that, three quarters of my time in the Caribbean and the rest of the time in London. And I think if there's a day, you know, very recently that I would relive, it was the day when, you know, having been in the Caribbean for maybe a month or something, 
I remember just looking around and being like, oh my God, I live here. And it was just delicious. Everything was delicious. Like the air, because, and this is the thing, I love that place so much. Anyway, I've grown up going there. But just the realisation that like, no, you're now not just a visitor or a tourist in this place. You live here. So when you drive around and, you know, every day that I drive around there, I have that sense of gratitude. I look around and I will always be like, gosh, it's so beautiful. Like when I'm looking around and I'm like, there are definitely frustrations. But I think there was definitely a day that I could pinpoint when I was like, like probably walking past a herd of cows. Like they're just, it's very rural. So I'm walking past these cows in the bushes and I'm walking and listening to music and I'm just like doing my exercise and I'm like, oh my God you made that massive audacious move and everyone, you know, against the people that were like, oh, how are you going to do it with two kids? Like, how are you going to do it in a pandemic? And I just didn't say anything. I didn't tell anyone until like the, just before we were going. I'm like, yeah, we're out. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so when we got there and I was like, wow, like we really did that. That I think I would like to relive. That was a good day. I came back from the Caribbean a couple of months ago. I was in St. Lucia. Where did you go? St. Lucia. So have you been? We live in St. Kitts. No, but St. Lucia's on my list. So, so nice out there. Like, I was there for a week here and I'm like, I could do <laughs> load longer than this. But it was so, so good. So it's a different pace of life as well compared to the UK. Like, it's different. People people are a lot very nice. It's just a, it's a slower mm. pace of life. It's more chilled. Good food, good fresh fruit, all of that stuff. Like, it was proper nice out there. Yeah. Fresh fish, everything yeah, fresh. Lovely. Everything fresh. Like, <laughs> It was so good. Exactly. So good, but yeah, yeah, that's all good. All right. What's been the scariest moment of your life so far? Hmm. Like from a very practical perspective, quite recently I had an like I had this, like an accident. I'm quite a clumsy person generally, but because I'm clumsy, I know like there are there are kind of tactics that I've had to introduce because I've been clumsy since I was a small child. If someone's going to trip over or break something or drop something, it's going to be me. So as a result, as you get older, you've, you've come up with life hacks so that you can survive. <laughs> so I'd never broken a bone, never really, never been in hospital overnight, none of that. Even when I was having the, the, the girls, like I'm just not somebody that has ever been in those situations. And then very recently I had an accident where I fell and had a concussion, um, had to have stitches and all that. And it was awful because like suddenly you have this real, your, your mortality flashes in front of your eyes. And I think it's worse when you're a parent because you're thinking, oh my God, like I can't, like I've got these small children that depend on me like that. But I think the concussion, and I was like, oh my God, I've come all this long time, never, n- nothing like that had ever happened to me. And then I'm in this tiny hospital on an island where they haven't got proper, like a proper system or anything like that. And I'm like, oh God, like, first of all, like, what are you going to do to my face? I have to say, that was probably the scariest thing. When I realized I'm like, okay, I'm not going to die. I'm alive. I came around and I was like, okay, I'm alive. Great. And then I was like, oh God, what are you going to do to my face? You don't really know what you're doing. Like, how are these stitches going to go? I'm going to like Freddy Krueger. So I think that for me was the scariest moment. And again, it's just reaffirmed. A, I've got to come up with a new life hack for that, like how to avoid that, that kind of accident happening again. But also it reaffirmed this kind of, you cannot put things off, Dad. You fell and hit your head. You had a concussion and you know, you really have a moment of truth when you're like, that could have gone differently. So that means you've got to have renewed focus and renewed purpose into what are the things you want to do? Where do you want to spend your time? With whom do you want to spend your time? Are you in the right environment? Are you working the right job? Are you surrounding yourself with the right people? All of those things, it just it's another opportunity. And for me, as I say, because I've already had those moments of truth in the past, you know, in the recent past, I'm constantly doing that. But that was just another opportunity for me to be like, that could have gone very differently. So 
really, you know, be, be very intentional about your life and what you're doing. Cool. That's great. And finally, to wrap up, what does the next chapter in your story look like? Oh my gosh. Well, definitely still, um, I have a real wanderlust now in the sense that, you know, I love the Caribbean, so that will very much be uh, a base for, for my life. I also love the energy and vibrancy of London, despite being a Brummie, I love London. So London will also be part of my story too. But I think I'd like to explore other parts of the world as well. Um, I'm not somebody that is bound to convention or what other people think a woman of my age or with, you know, my marital status and with two small children should be doing. I basically do what I want. I work back from what suits me and the girls and I do what I want. So I feel like the next chapter is more travel, more um, working with amazing, just incredible women to help them achieve their financial goals in whatever way that manifests itself. But also writing books. So lots of, you know, writing is another one of my passions. So writing books next to the sea is a thing for me as well. Cool. Great. That's that. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Really love speaking to you today, man. I really, really enjoyed it. It's so good. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Tevin. I've loved the conversation. And thank you for those questions. Really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Just to wrap up, for... Um, for people who want to keep up to date with you and Raincheck and what you guys are doing, how can they do that? And also, have you got have you got anything else you might want to close with? Any last words? Yeah, um, I suppose. In terms, you know, I don't have like one of those like quotable um, things to say, but I do think it really is important that as women that we recognise quite how magical we are, um, and that. Where we start, as I say, it doesn't have to be where we finish. It's just really important that we put one foot in front of the other and take one step, particularly when it comes to our money. Um, and that we don't shy away from having those conversations because it's important not just for our own quality of lives, but for the people around us. And I think quite often that's the thing that will focus women's minds. We are so selfless in many respects that if we think, OK, well, if me having a proper money conversation or advocating for myself financially will improve my husband's life or um, my partner's life or my children's lives, then I'm going to be committed to doing better, then we will do it. So I really think, you know, just recognise your own greatness and the things that you've already achieved and just apply that energy to everything else that you do when it comes to your money. So that would be the last thing, thing, the last thing that I would like to say. Um, and for anybody that would like to find out more, our website is the best place to begin. I'm very proud of it. We had it redone recently. So it's just raincheck.com, rainchq.com. Um, and you can follow us on social media. Instagram is the one that we are most active in. Cool. That's great. All right. Thank you once again for coming to the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Really enjoyed our conversation today. So thank you. Loads, so many takeaways as well. So all good thank you so much but that's that for now people this is 1000 voices that was Davinia Tomlinson of Raincheck and for now we're out okay and that's voice number 28 all done and dusted I hope you enjoyed this interview Davinia as always it's great to hear back from the community and what some of your key takeaways were in this interview, there were so, so many things we can take away from it. So many good pieces of financial advice and overall, just a very inspirational story. But it's great to hear back from you guys and let me know what you thought about this. Please do leave us a comment wherever you're listening to this on or on our social media pages as well at 1000 Voices UK. Next week, as always, the podcast will be out on Tuesday. So make sure to follow us on our social media pages if you'd like to see some snippets from the upcoming interview before it gets released. But that's that for now, people. 
Thank you for tuning in. This is 1000 Voices, and for now, we're out.